Move by Mamma Mia is the exercise app for anybody, anywhere. And in case you missed it, we dropped a brand new stretching collection that can be used to improve mobility and bookend your favourite sweat sessions. Mamma Mia subscribers get unlimited access to Move and we drop new workouts every single week. If you're on the hunt for movement that makes you feel good, head to move.mamamia.com.au and use the code MOVE10 to get $10 off a yearly subscription. You're listening to a Mamma Mia podcast. From Mamma Mia, hi, I'm Claire Murphy. Welcome to The Quickie, getting you up to speed daily. Emily used to work with us here at Mamma Mia, but because of the closed international border situation, has decided she can't live here anymore, not without being able to go back and see her family in France where she was born. We just felt like we had a really nice life, but that was essentially just like a a very nice prison almost. And she's not the only one. 16 months after the Australian government shut down our ability to travel overseas, Australia is suffering a migrant brain drain that may impact us for years to come. Today, we find out how shutting out COVID may have had more than a long-term health impact on this country. Emily moved to Australia nine years ago with her husband and their toddler daughter. At the time, you know, we didn't think it would be for nine years. We wanted a change of life. We wanted our daughter to grow bilingual. We had a one-year-old at the time. We wanted to live abroad, wanted to have a bit of an adventure. So it was supposed to be for a few years' time. But then once we got there, we realised we really loved it there. We had more children and, you know, one thing led to another. So we ended up spending nine years there. She says life here in Australia up until partway through the pandemic was ideal. But with the Australian government pushing the potential reopening of international borders out to two years, she started to think maybe this wasn't the right place to be right now. I think it was the realisation that COVID was here to stay for a while. I think in 2020, I mostly felt very lucky to be in Australia. And that was probably at a time where it felt like COVID was sort of a temporary crisis, a moment in time. And we felt we were looking at the situation in Europe that was pretty dire with so many deaths and, you know, hospitals and ICUs operating beyond capacity. We were thinking, wow, we're so lucky to be here uh, and to have almost a normal life because we were in Sydney. And I think as we started getting towards the end of 2020, it became very clear that COVID was going to be a reality for some time. And there was really no end in sight to the closure of the international borders. We hadn't seen our families in one and a half year at that point. And there was no date. There was no knowing when the borders were going to reopen. We had no idea when the vaccines were coming. We had no idea whether the vaccines meant anything for the borders reopening. So that felt pretty scary. We just felt like we had a really nice life, but that was essentially just like a a very nice prison almost because we couldn't get to our families easily. And there was always that feeling that we had from the beginning of the pandemic that if something bad happens to one of our loved ones in Europe, we couldn't get there easily. That was always an issue. But when it started to become a more long-term problem, we realised, no, we can't have that. So Emily, who'd been working in digital marketing, and her husband, who works in the finance sector, handed in their end-of-lease notice to their landlord, quit their jobs and booked a removalist. All the things the government needed to see that they were serious about moving back home. Their exemption was granted within 48 hours. 
and so they said goodbye to the family they chose down here and moved their lives back to France. It was really excruciating to leave Australia. I mean, we left friends and we left our lives there and not knowing when we were going to see them again. But aside from the joy of seeing loved ones, which is you know, pretty fantastic, I have to say there's a, almost like a weight lifted from not having to make that decision anymore, not being torn because we, we live so far from family anymore. So now we feel like we've made that decision. We don't have to make it anymore. And that's, that, it's pretty nice to know that whatever happens from now on, you know, if, if something happens to a, a loved one, we go around them. And yeah, there's not a feeling of not having any control about what can happen. And it's very, it's also very interesting to see what is happening in Europe and the way that they've learned to live with the virus. And as thankful as I am for the way that it's been handled in Australia initially, that has probably saved so many lives. It is interesting to see where they got to now in Europe with so many vaccines being rolled out. And the fact that you can start to live again, despite the virus, it's really Nice to be here at this point, I think. That's just one story of migrants deciding they can't live here any longer. How many others are doing the same? And how many more are considering it? In the year up to June 30th, 2020, there were over 7.6 million immigrants living in Australia, 29.8% of the population born overseas. In this time, Australia's population increased by 194,400 people. It's an increase on the year before, when we had 7.5 million migrants here, 29.7% of the population born overseas. But the data on the year up to June 30, 2021 hasn't been released yet, and we're expecting that number to fall. Data from the Department of Home Affairs shows in the three months after the pandemic hit in March 2020, nearly 143,000 visa holders left the country. That included international students, tourists and work visa holders. Compared to 2019, there were 600,000 fewer temporary visa holders in Australia in 2020, the biggest dip in the Australian population in history. Last October, the federal government revealed that Australia's net migration intake would fall into negative levels for the first time since World War II. They aren't expecting that number to improve for more than four years. Skilled migrants who are critical to fill the gaps in the Australian economy are leaving or have already left, taking their taxes and the money they spend in the community with them. The country then also misses out on their expertise in so many different fields, fields that sometimes take years of study to replace. Eliza Bavin is a finance journalist focusing on economics, personal finance and company news. She recently wrote an article for Yahoo Finance about an impending brain drain as Aussie workers continue to flee the country. Eliza, do we know how many immigrants have left Australia permanently since the pandemic kicked off? Well, it's a good question because there's a difference between how many people have been applying to leave and how many people have actually left. So since the start of the pandemic, it's been about 360,000, a little more than that, applications made for travel exemptions, which is a fair whack of people. But the government has only given exemptions to about 171,000. So it's still a big amount, but not quite as many as have been applying to leave. What is the long-term impact of having skilled migrants leave the Australian economy? I mean, there's a lot of impacts, really. We're already facing 
a pretty significant labor shortage in Australia. So, you know, we've got the job ads at their highest in 12 years. Businesses are really struggling to get people. At this stage, we've got 57% more job vacancies now than there were pre-COVID. So, we've got a labor shortage, which is forcing businesses to really struggle to put out the amount of product or work that they would normally be putting out. And that can obviously have pretty dire effects on the Australian economy in terms of our production and productivity as a whole. What does that mean for me, like average Joe? So would it maybe lead to issues such as inflation? Are we looking at, for many, it looks like, well, that will solve the unemployment rate, so it must have benefits. What does it actually look like for me? Yeah, of course. So, I mean, there's plenty of things that can happen. It's kind of hard, especially when it comes to economics, to make a definitive answer. But certainly on the pros side, you have much lower unemployment, as we've seen recently with the unemployment rate dropping below 5%. That's great. That can lead to wage increases and that can have you know very positive effects on the economy. But then on the flip side, on the con side, as you mentioned before, inflation is an issue because we may not have the same capability to manufacture you know, the things that we need. Just simple everyday products like shampoo and conditioner or getting some bug spray that you may need. Those things might end up costing more. So, It's kind of a a difficult balancing act. And Australia is one of those countries that does get a lot of migrant workers in because we don't have a huge population. So it seems at this point like it is swaying towards this might have negative effects on us. But for the moment, we're still in the short stages where we've got lower unemployment. And so it's kind of going all right. Do we know what industries might be impacted the most by the loss of skilled migrants? Yeah. So at first, at the beginning of the pandemic, you know, it was jobs like hospitality, tourism, where we would generally have a lot of backpackers and and whatnot, you know, uni students filling those jobs. But that's actually switched now. Now that this has gone on for such a prolonged time, the most recent job vacancies data that was put out by SEEK showed that now it's things like engineering, real estate, IT, consulting, advertising, office job type industries that probably had a lot of migrants. And those are the ones who have now gone, you know, forget about this. I want to go see my family. I want to go back home. And they've gone back to places like the UK or the US where cities are opening again. What can we do to fill the gaps? Is the government making plans to get people better educated in those areas where we're losing these migrant workers, how is the government counteracting it? Well, that is really the question on everybody's mind. The government has put in place a couple of initiative things like the Job Maker Program, but there has been some talk from industry leaders that a lot of workplaces are confused about what those initiatives are, how they would even put their workers up for those initiatives. So I don't think it's been clear. I don't think that the government in general has done enough to try and fill those those gaps. I think people are confused about, <laughs> about what's going on. And because the industries that have been affected have been changing pretty rapidly, I don't think the government really knows where those long-term shortages are anymore. So will M ever consider coming back to Australia one day once this whole pandemic thing is over and we're all vaccinated? I hope so. But, you know, I can only come back to Australia if I know that I'm going to be able to leave again. So um, kind of depends, I guess, on what Australia decides to do next and, and when. 
we'd made our decision that obviously not knowing, you know, what was going to happen in Sydney shortly after we left. We're very sad for what's happening in Sydney. In in our minds, it just makes us think, well, we probably made the right decision because it's it is happening much more slowly in Australia. And who knows when we would have been able to come back to France and visit family again if we hadn't decided to do the permanent move. You know, and I'm seeing things from a different perspective being here now and seeing you know, the way that things are happening in Europe. At first, I was shocked and thinking, wow, they just they can't believe they're then, you know, they don't go into lockdown that easily and they just sort of get used to this virus circulating that easily. But I also see they've been more efficient on the vaccines and I'm just hoping that now Australia can play catch up and get there as well. Hopefully we don't lose too many more. That's the quickie for today. This episode was produced by myself, Claire Murphy, and our executive producer, Siobhan Moran-McFarlane, with audio production by Jacob Round. Mamma Mia acknowledges the traditional owners of the land we have recorded this podcast on, the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation. We pay our respects to their elders, past and present, and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander cultures.